Let's pray. Father, you are you are so good. You're so awesome and so glorious in all your ways. Your glory and your majesty and your awesomeness and your goodness are revealed in the things that you've made. And Father, that if we would but see, if we could but see your glory, if we could but see you and understand you and know you and know your promises and know what you've spoken and know your goodness toward us, if we could but know this, Father, and see this and understand this, and if all the cares and the concerns and the burdens and the worries and the fretting in this life could be put away, and we could gaze into your goodness and your power and your love and know who you are, then we would be filled with perfect joy and peace and overflow with your goodness and be led to worship, to praise, to delight in you. Father, I ask this morning that we truly would see you, we'd see Jesus, we would see ourselves, and that we would, we would be completely submissive, worshipful servants. And we would experience you and know you because we serve you. For I ask, Father, this morning that you would truly work in all of us, opening our eyes and leading us toward you. In Christ we ask it. Amen. Well, this, is the, this particular message this morning is the last in a preliminary uh, of messages, the first, the first four that really set the stage for the rest of this book. And as we get into next week and the weeks following, we're going to kind of get into the heart of his whole argument here. But this, these are all very necessary preliminary sermons to kind of allow us to understand what is fundamental before you get there. You've got to get these particular messages. And so this morning we're going to look at experiencing God as his servant, experiencing him as his servant. And in order to do so, we need to answer a very important question. The question is this. Let me ask you, think about this. How do you view your life? Or to put it another way, how do you see yourself? And the reason why this is such an important question is because the way we see ourselves is the way we live. And seeing ourselves is fundamental to acting in certain ways. For example, if you see yourself as a Christian who is living your life, doing what you think is best, and just seeking to please God and, and receive his blessings, then you see yourself as have, having a bunch of things to do under the God that you serve. You have a bunch of things to do, and you would really like it if the God of heaven who's above you and that you serve below him would bless you more. 
Because to tell you the truth, it's really hard and it's really difficult and this life is very strenuous and I'd really like it if the God of heaven would pour out his blessing and more of his blessing on me because I'm having a hard time if he hasn't noticed. It isn't uncommon for us to see or view ourselves like this. Typically, we go about our lives thinking if we could either um, either do better, do more, work harder, you know, be more productive, that, uh, that God would really bless us. Or we, we see ourselves as, as thinking that, you know what, um, what I try to do in life, this is how my life goes. I just try to do what's best for my family. I try to do what's, uh, whatever God has said and, or whatever authority I'm under, and I just plug away. I just try to get through the day. And it feels like being a hamster on his little wheel, just going and going and going, but never going anywhere. On the flip side, you could see yourself a little differently than this. You could see ourselves and operate for who Jesus says that we are. And then that would affect the way we live. We'd live differently. John 12, verse 26 says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Romans 12.1 states, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 1 Corinthians 7, 22 through 23 declares, You who were free when called by Christ is a bond slave to Christ. You were bought at a price. Do not become bond slaves of men. In other words, you belong to Jesus you're his possession. You're his servant. And all these passages, passages, and there's many others that we could look at, reveal something about us as Christians, how we're to see ourselves, how you are to view yourself. They declare that you are not your own. You don't belong to you. Your life is not your life. Newsflash, right? It belongs to Jesus. It's his. He purchased it. Your life does not belong to you. Your life belongs to Jesus. You're his. Now, this understanding, this, like to see ourselves like this, to see ourselves as a servant is important. And we're going to develop this whole theme this morning. And exactly what does this mean? Because it's very significant that we wrap our heads around what it means to be a servant of God. And let me just tell you this. It's not the same thing as being a servant of man. There's a fundamental difference, and we've got to see this. Because often when I say this to you this morning, you're a servant of God, we typically think that we're, that means just like a servant of man. And it's not, as we'll see. And the first thing I want us to notice this morning is this, is that a servant is who God is. We have to start here and get the heads around this. We don't often think of God as a servant, do you? But that's the very nature of God. In Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus said, 
The Son of Man did not come to be served, but what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Didn't you realize that in saying this, Jesus is also making a statement about the Father. In Jesus saying that, he's also saying something about the Father. And the reason I say this is because in John chapter 14, verses 9 through 11, Jesus says, now hear this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, do not speak, uh, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the accounts of the works themselves. So what is Jesus stating here? He's clearly stating that is to see Jesus is to see the Father, right? That's clear is what he's trying to help you understand. I and the Father are one. We're like this. I'm in him. He's in me. We are one. So if you basically, if you see Jesus, there you go. That is the Father, you could say. Emphatically. So in Jesus, and what is Jesus's, what does he say his purpose is? I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life away. What Jesus says there is, is a statement about the very nature of God. That Jesus saying that I come to serve and to give and to bless. That's what I've come to do, to actually pour out my life for you. Because in doing so, you are actually seeing God. And to get a better picture of what this service actually looks like in its full scope, I think there's no better passage to go to than Philippians chapter 2, which was read for us this morning. I'm going to read a portion of that, verses 5 and following. He says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped after, but emptied himself by taking the form of what? Of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. So he's going from one end to the other. He was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even, it says, not just ordinary death, death on the cross. So he humbles himself. He is God. And he takes on human flesh at the beginning and humbles himself. And he's a servant. All he does is serve. And then how does he exit? He comes humbly and he leaves as humble. He can't get more humble than that. He dies the most humiliating death known at the particular time through crucifixion. It can't get any more clear than this. That the very nature of God is to serve. He serves and he gives to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Our God gives and he 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 gives. It's his very nature to serve. You know, one thing you'll note about all the other gods in this world is that all of them insist that they come before their God and set a table before him and serve him and sacrifice to him. And if they do not serve him, they do not sacrifice to him, he becomes very angry. However, with the God of heaven and earth... He sets a table for his people, and he says, come and eat, and eat your fill for free. 
And of course, he does want us to go and serve, doesn't he? He wants us to go serve, serve others. But it's because of who he is and who he created us to be. We're created in his likeness. It's because we were supposed to reflect him and be like him. Why does he call us to serve? Because that's who he is. By his very nature is is to be a servant. So before we do anything, before we can do anything, he first does it to us and for us. He says, we love, and we've said this often, because why? He first loved us. That's why we love. Not because he's saying, you better love me. No, he says, no, I'm going to love you and I'm going to give my life for you. And I call you to do the same. I love you first. And all of in all of God's revelation throughout Scripture, you know, we can turn to the Old Testament and you could say, yeah, man, you get some pictures in the Old Testament. That seem, God seems pretty like, I don't know about a servant. He seems more like a taskmaster. You know, we can, we can pull out verses. You can pull out sections. You can pull out segments. And you could paint a pretty gnarly picture of God, couldn't you? You can But no revelation given in all of Scripture is any clearer than Jesus himself. Jesus is the full, the complete revelation of God. In him dwells the fullness of the deity. In Jesus is the complete and full revelation of God. All of Scripture, no matter what it says, said prior to his coming, was all in shadow, in types. And it, there's a lot of puzzles, and there's a lot of pieces, and there's a lot of pictures, and there's a lot of foreshadowing. There's a lot of anticipation, and there's a lot of head scratching. But in Jesus... What we find is the fullness of the deity dwells. God, in the fullest revelation possible, is found in Jesus. Therefore, when we see his whole ministry, what do we see? We see him going about giving, serving, healing, blessing, delivering, feeding, helping, with next to no receiving from others. And what are we seeing when we see that? We are seeing what our God is like. In fact... This is amazing. We see Jesus maligned, falsely accused, betrayed, abandoned. And oh yeah, all that so far, that's just by his close friends. We see him wickedly sentenced to death. We see him falsely accused. We see him whipped. We see him beaten. We see him mocked. We see him crucified by the ones he served without opening his mouth against him. But, oh, yeah, he does open his mouth eventually. And when he does open his mouth, what does he say? Father, forgive them. So now we see that being a servant is, at the, very na- is the very nature of God. Our God serves. Our God is a servant. That's what he is. I also want us all to see this, that as I mentioned earlier, a servant of God is different than a servant of man, and here's why. John 12, 26 says, if anyone serves me, which I read earlier, he must follow me. You know, what is interesting about this is that when we think of a servant of man, what do we think in our heads? We think of a guy who receives instruction and then he goes and obeys. That's what we think of, right? That's what a servant does. Bring my servant here. I want you to go and get me my coffee and bring it to me. 
He runs off and goes and gets it and brings it back. That's typically what our minds think of a servant who's just obeying the instructions of their master. But with God, it's different. As a servant of Jesus, we don't simply receive marching orders and then away we go. And if we do, we're failing to understand the role of servant. Because as Jesus says, if you go back in the text, he says, if, you, if anyone serves me, what does he do? He follows me. Follows. He follows after me. And beyond that, we can, we can even go further than that. Not just follows me, but wait, hold on. Jesus says, I am with you. Not just with you, like by your side. He all, we also know that I am in you by the Spirit. So I'm in you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And what does it mean to serve? You follow. So you have him with you, in you, and you're to follow him as a servant. And because of this fundamental difference, a servant of God is different than a servant of man. A servant of God is someone who surrenders their life to God completely. They go to the cross, the cross and they, they give their whole lives. They submit, they surrender and say, here God, here I am, use me as you will. And then God, they allow God by his spirit to work in them and through them. So we shouldn't think of the idea of a servant of God as we do a servant of man because what happens is this. Fundamentally, we separate the servant from the master. And now we have the master and we have the servant. Or we can do it this way, which is probably more accurate. The master and the servant. The master gives an order and goes according to man. But what's what God does? He unites with us. He says, what I want from you, my servant, is for you to surrender to me, to submit to me, to delight in me, to follow me, and I will fill you, I will guide you, I will strengthen you, and I'll work through you. But what he requires of us is submission and surrender. Blackaby in his book shows how it would be better to think of this, of this relationship uh, as a, like a potter in clay. In Romans 9 and Jeremiah 18, it reveals to us, this is how, in fact, God sees our life in his hands, the potter and the clay analogy. Because in the analogy of the clay, what does the clay do? What, does the clay go out and say, uh, start running around and say, what do I do for my master? No, what does the clay do? It just, it's just there. It submits to the, the master's hands. And then the master does with the clay and creates a vessel for its own purpose and use, and he does with it what he wants. The vessel that is produced by the potter is for his use and his purposes. And it's amazing when you think of a vessel. It just, it's submissive. It surrenders. It just gives itself to its purpose. That's what it does. And allows the one who made it to use it however he wants to, be, to use it. And this is precisely what it means to be a servant of the Lord. It is to submit and to surrender your life and will to God in all areas of life. You know, if you think of the vessels in your life, the things that you have around us, this morning even on this table we have vessels. There's a cup sitting right there. And what is that cup doing? That cup is, is, was made for a purpose, and it's holding wine, and there it rests serving its purpose. It just, it just does what it was made to do, and there it is submissive to that. 
It's not running off trying to do this or that. It's just there. It's there to serve. And this is how we are to be as servants of God. And even as we look at Jesus, you know what's fascinating about Jesus? He's the ultimate servant, but he, he reveals to us what this service looks like. This is different than the service of man. And I want us to look at some passages that really help us to see and understand the difference. He's committed, completely submitted to the Father in every single way. He wouldn't even speak apart from what the Father gave him to speak. In, in John chapter 12, verses 49 through 50, Jesus says, For I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Now, wouldn't you think that Jesus, as the perfect son, if there ever was a son to speak on his own, it would be him? If anyone could go and speak on his own, surely it's Jesus. But he says, I don't even speak unless the Father gives me the word to speak. Now, there's a servant completely submissive to his father. In John chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. Really? Did you hear what he said? Jesus says the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. He doesn't even do anything apart from the Father showing it to him, and he does it. He doesn't say anything apart from the Father uh, revealing it to him, and he says it. And then he says that if that weren't enough, Jesus goes on and he says in John 4.34, that if the, uh, it is his food, it's my food, it's what I eat, is to do the will of my Father who's in heaven. This is what I do. I do his will, and that's what I love. So every action, every word, and everything that Jesus has done throughout the Gospels was whatever his Father wanted to say, whatever his Father wanted to do, whatever his Father wanted him to do. It didn't matter. He was completely submissive to his Father. It's just the most beautiful picture of what it means to be a servant of God, completely submissive to the Father. Whatever you have for me, Lord, whatever. And even to the point of death and death on a cross, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knows what he's facing. He knows it's the will of his Father to take him to the cross for the people because God loves his people and wants to save them and deliver them. And Jesus says, it's so painful that he's, we know that he's sweating drops of blood, as it were. And yet he says, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Completely submissive. So what does it mean to be a servant of God? It means to be a piece of clay in the potter's hand. It means to be completely submissive and surrendered to God in all things. It means to say, God, here I am, and whatever you have for me, I believe that, that this is from your hand. And, and I believe that you, 
you are going to work in me and through me, and I submit my life to you. I give it to you. So here's the deal. If we're a servant like this, if this is what it means to be a servant of God, then what we're going to see next is that this is the one God uses. When someone's a servant like this, this is the, the servant that God uses. In John 15, if you want to turn there for actually for a moment, turn to John chapter 15. I'm going to look at some of the verses there. In John chapter 15, it reveals to us that it's only as we abide in Christ and submit to him that we find fruit coming out of our lives. What happens to a servant? Fruit becomes, comes out of their lives. That's the result of it. Look at, look at verse 4. If you have John 15, start, let's look at verse 4. It says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now this is very significant. This is a significant passage because it shows where all the power and the fruit comes from. Does it come from you? You're striving, you're working, producing? No, it comes solely from Christ, doesn't it? Solely from Him. And so if we stop abiding in Christ, if we're not abiding in Him, we won't produce any fruit. And no matter how much you want want to produce fruit, no matter how much you might want to please God, you find that you can do nothing on your own. But when we abide in Christ, surrender to Him, and He's working in and through us, we're delighting in Him, then He says we produce much fruit. Now, this is interesting, because we think, well, if we do this, we won't produce much fruit. No, Jesus says, no, you just won't produce some fruit. He says something very significant, much fruit. In fact, He elaborates. Jump down to verse 8. If you look at verse 8 here, He elaborates. By this the Father is glorified, that you bear how much? (laughs) Much. Much fruit. A lot. And so prove to be my disciples. The Father is glorified by the fruit that comes out of our lives. And it's not just a little bit. He says a lot, much fruit. Now here's a problem with this particular passage. Because it can give the impression that if we do not abide in Christ, it's like an ultimate either-or passage. This is sometimes how we think of it. If we do not abide in Christ, we're cut off and thrown into the fire. If you look at verse 6, this is what he says. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Not too encouraging. You know, you look at that and you can think, what? This is crazy. So it seems so automatic, doesn't it? Either or. If I don't abide in Christ, boom, I'm cut off and thrown and burned. If I do abide, well, then I'm not. And so it seems like if I, um, the, the hinge is an abiding, and then if we understand Abiding is some like objective either or situation. I think it gets a little confusing because if we know in our daily experience, we all know that we do things. There are times when we do things on our own strength and we all know how fruitless our lives are like when we do that. We all know what it means to be fruitless. We also know that even though we wander from Christ at times, we drift. The father disciplines us and he brings us back. So that we return. 
And at the same time, we also know that in an ultimate sense, there's an ultimate sense here that this is absolutely true. If someone departs from Christ, the father doesn't discipline, they don't return, they don't come back to Christ, they walk away, they go away, and they never return, we know that they did not abide in Christ and they are cut off and they will experience the burn. So there's the ultimate sense in which that's true at the end of the day. But now here's the, here's the, the whole of your life. And now these are the parts of your life. And we find that as we go through, that if we are loved by God, we abide in Christ. And there's times when we don't abide in Christ. And what does the Father do? He disciplines and brings us back to Christ. And as we're going through, our life is more like this, probably, or however you want to picture it, um, than, oh, just constant abiding. But the truth is, at the end of the day, because the Father loves us, he will spank us. And his spankings are very effective. They're good. And we know from Hebrews 12 that any, any son he loves, he disciplines. And we know that in the end, it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's what Hebrews 12 tell, teaches us. And he says, if he doesn't love you, there's no discipline. So a person hear the, hearing this, and, and you know, if a person is not abiding in Christ, not submitted to him and surrendered to him and delighting to him and offering his life, life to him, and they don't experience, they don't care that they're not, and they don't ever experience the discipline of God, they won't even care what I just said. That's a scary place to be. And no matter how much I, if I screamed right now and tried with all my might to convince you of this, you would sit there and think, what's he getting so worked up about? <laughs> that was my sign. Go back to the text. <laughs> So if we are children of God, if we are his children, or should we just listen to that? Uh, maybe. <laughs> we, we will find that in times in our lives, and you can see in your lives where you drift from Christ, you're not really abiding in Christ, and there's what kind of fruits come into your life? Not much at all. And then the Father disciplines you, and he brings you back, and you return, and you repent, and you abide in Christ. And when you're there, what happens? Fruit comes out of your life. And so we know, that, we know experientially, we know from our lives that this is, an, this is at, in one sense spe- speaking in ultimate terms. At the end of our days, if we depart from Christ and don't return, we will be cut off. But it's also talking about what it's like, like experientially throughout our lives. There's times when we're abiding and there's fruit. And there's times when we're not and there's no fruit. And then the Father disciplines and we, and we turn back again and then there's more fruit. And so I think that we have to understand that abiding in Christ, we can't think of this as some ultimate either or destination. If I'm not abiding in Christ right now, then I'm hooped, I'm being cut off, and I'm going to fu- go into the furnace. Well, if you do not return to Christ and remain in Christ and abide in him, that is true. And if that doesn't concern you at all, that can, should concern you. Because the father always disciplines the ones he loves. Always. And so if you see a lot of spankings in your life, praise God. Praise him. Praise him for all the times he draws you back. For all the times he whoops you. For all the times he says, stop it. For all the times, he, you know, he exposes these areas of your life where you are clinging to all these things over here and Christ is over here. Or sometimes you're trying to cling to both. I want all these precious goods. I want all these things. And yeah, I do want Christ. But that def- divided heart won't work. The father will smack that hand until you let go. And he says, turn back to Christ. 
So we, as we, what it means here is as abiding in Christ is that you, you're clinging to Christ. It's like, what does a branch do? All that branch has done is it just hangs on, right? And that branch is connected to the vine. And what does the vine do? The vine pumps the sap through the, through the branch. And what comes out the branch? Fruit. It all it's, it just hangs on. And clinging to Christ. And the thing is, when we're not abiding in Christ, we're doing all kinds of things in our own strength. We're usually doing our own thing. We do it our own way. We make all kinds of excuses for getting the things that we want. We pursue and chase after our own dreams. We have our own agendas. We do everything that's just about us. We become incredibly selfish. That's not being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this for a moment in terms of abiding in Christ and asking yourself the question, am I abiding in Christ? Am I being that servant who's submissive and surrendered completely for the Lord to do in and through me whatever he wills? If you have any area of your life that you are unwilling to completely surrender to Christ, then you are unwilling to be his servant and abide in him. And that can happen to any one of us at any given time. Your posture as one who abides in Christ has to be one where you take everything and everyone in your life and you completely, with open hands, you go before the cross, before Christ, and say everything, all that I am, all that I have, everything, it's all yours, O Lord. I am yours. My everything is yours. Do with me whatever you will. That's an abider. That's, a, that's someone who comes to the foot of the cross and, and, and sees Jesus as their Lord, their King, and says, Lord Jesus, here I am. I am yours. I cling to nothing. Nothing but you. All I want is your will. All I want is you. And if there is anyone or anything that we're not willing to surrender it reveals to us that we're not completely abiding in Christ and that we do have idols that need to be shattered. Idols that we cling to and perhaps we cling to in love as much as we love Christ. Because here's the deal. When you are abiding in Christ, there's not one thing or one person in all of your life that you cherish as much as Christ. You, you cling to him as your Lord completely and wholly. All of your life is an act of worship. You praise him, you thank him, you submit to him, you trust him, you follow him in everything. You don't view your lives as yours any longer. It's not your own. Your life is his. Your life is at the foot of the cross for him to do whatever he wants in your life. Do you, we all understand this. We know how easy it is to pick up stuff to pick up things, to go after and cling on to other stuff and things and people. We know how easy that is, but we gotta be con- we're constantly called to let go and come back and cling to Christ and abide in him. And if we don't and we're the fathers, those fingers will get smacked. The father will disappear. I'm confident of that. If you are the Lord's, you can't stay there. You can't. He will make sure that you let your hands go and you turn and you cling to Christ. Because what does a servant do? The servant lives his life and he says, Here I am, Jesus. Every bit of me. 
do with me whatever you will. I have no will but yours. Use me. Here I am. And that servant experiences such blessing and fruit coming out of his life because that's the posture, that's the servant God uses. And until we learn to be a servant who waits on the Lord, who waits in the courts of the Lord, who delights in the Lord, who pursues a relationship with the Lord and only wants his will, we won't know his goodness. We won't know his power in our lives. We will know frustration. We will know discipline. We will know, we'll know fruitlessness. We will know worry. We'll know constant concern. We'll know troubles of all kinds. And hopefully so. Hopefully. I honestly can say that. I hopefully, I, I pray for you that God would not allow you to continue in that without con- ramping up more and more discipline. I do not pray for your blessing upon blessing if if a person's not abiding in Christ. That would be foolish. That God would keep spanking and cause us to turn. That's what we need, every one of us. The discipline of the Lord, and hopefully we have it. And if we're being loved by our dear Heavenly Father through discipline, then we won't be concerned as I said earlier, or bothered when warned, when encouraged, when exhorted to surrender all to Christ. Or we might be greatly bothered in the conviction sense. What I mean by bothered is like, who cares? If you're sitting here this morning and you have the who cares attitude, like it doesn't really matter who cares, I pity you. It's a scary place to be. Because unless the Spirit of God awakens our heart and we're troubled and we see if we do have things in our lives that we must take them to the cross, submit them to our Lord, and become these submissive servants of the Lord, if we don't see that we need to do that, and if that doesn't stir us, and if that doesn't bother us, if we do have things, then yeah, that's a scary place to be. I want us to come to the place where we stop trying to impress God, stop trying to work, work in our own strength, stop fighting in our flesh, and start trusting the Lord, resting in the Lord, delighting in the Lord, worshiping the Lord, and following the Lord in His strength as a submissive vessel before the Lord. And that person, that posture who says, Lord, here I am, my life is yours, do with me whatever you will. Everything I have, it's yours, O God, with a whole heart. That person is the servant of the Lord. That person is abiding in Christ and will experience the fruit of Christ coming out of their lives. And you know what? I'm convinced that if we don't live there and in that posture, you're going to experience frustration, pain, struggle, fruitlessness like no one's business, and just constant striving, striving, and striving. Because God wants you to learn something. He doesn't need you. But he delights in you and wants you to delight in him. And he wants to use you as a submissive vessel and servant. And as you do, you will experience God by being his servant. 
you will experience God in you and through you. You will experience the fruit of God hanging off your life. You will experience the God of heaven and earth. The more completely you surrender to him and give up to him and submit to him and worship him and delight in him and rest in him and look to him, the more you're filled up, the more you're strengthened, the more your life all of a sudden starts to bear fruit because the servant of God experiences God. Amen. Father, you are awesome, and you are good, and you're glorious. Help us all, O Lord, to see your goodness, your power, your glory. Help us to see you. Help us to see your love in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might see the heights and the depths and the breadths of the love of Christ, that we might be filled with the fullness of God, that we might have all things surrendered to you, submitting to you as the servant, bringing everything and anything in our lives that we might cling to before you and say, here it is, Lord, it's yours. Do with it as you will. We submit to you. We surrender all things to you. We give them to you, O God. May you work even here and now, Father. Work in our hearts and in our minds. Expose and show to us the areas of our lives where we do not abide in Christ as humble servants. Father, show us. Minister grace and peace to this body. And may we see you, the living God, for who you are and just joyfully and gladly pour our lives out before you. Amen.